chapter seven of blackthorn farm by arthur applin this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter seven the visitors it was dark before the west of england express pulled into paddington station rupert alighted carrying a suitcase in his hand he avoided the temptation of taking a taxicab but walked to the underground railway and took a train to westminster he was turning over a new leaf and though for the moment he had plenty of money he had made up his mind henceforth not to spend up any more than was necessary he had not warned his landlady that he was coming so he found that she was out and that nothing was ready for him his rooms looked dusty and uncared for the blinds were drawn the atmosphere was cold and cheerless the servant suggested lighting the fire but rupert shook his head he was going to do without luxuries of any sort the first thing he did was to write a letter to sir reginald at the imperial hotel telling him of his arrival and saying that he was at his service during the whole of the next day then after unpacking his suitcase and changing his clothes he went out and had dinner at a humble restaurant he would have telephoned to ruby but there was not much time and again it would have meant added expense it was curious and irritating how important money had suddenly become it seemed to check him at every turn though there was gold in his purse and a balance at his bank a week or two ago when he had really been broke it scarcely troubled him not as it troubled him now for the first time in his life he realized its importance and his father's words continually echoed in his ears at eight o'clock he went to the ingenue theatre and waited at the stage door for ruby strode to arrive she generally put in an appearance between eight and eight fifteen every minute cabs and motor-cars drew up and members of the company got out and passed through the narrow entrance to the back of the theatre some of the girls he recognized but he kept out of the way as he did not wish to be seen when the hands of the clock in the doorkeeper's office pointed to a quarter past eight he began to grow a little anxious ruby was late as a rule she was careful about time where her work was concerned he waited five minutes more then stepping inside the passage he knocked at the sliding glass panel of the doorkeeper's office and asked if miss strode had arrived i'm sure i couldn't say the man in charge replied the doorkeeper's been called away for a moment and he'll be back directly all the course and extra people are supposed to be booked in by eight fifteen as rupert turned away a girl hurrying along the passage nearly ran into him as she apologized he recognized iris collier a friend of ruby's do you know if miss strode has arrived yet i wish you'd find her for me he said i've just come up to town from the country and i don't suppose i shall have more than twenty-four hours here i want her to meet me after the performance to-night he noticed a look of surprise on miss collier's face and she hesitated for a moment before replying but don't you know she's gone away she's been absent for about a week now gone away rupert echoed blankly yes didn't you know she was a bit run down got a chill or something at least she said so anyway she wanted a holiday poor dear she's been at it hard for the past twelve months yes of course she wanted a holiday rupert said mechanically where's she gone 
miss collier shrugged her shoulders i haven't faintest idea as you ought to know mr dale ruby was never one of the chatty ones never gabbled about her own affairs or other people's like the rest of the girls she held out a neatly gloved hand i must rush away late as usual i expect you'll hear from ruby in a day or two i remember now she talked about the continent paris i believe said she'd send me picture postcards of course a little wretch never has so long iris collier disappeared with a nod of her head rupert remained standing in the passage pushed about and buffeted to and fro by stagehands and dressers as they passed in and out until he recovered himself with an effort and made his way into the street and walked slowly along in the direction of piccadilly circus he found it difficult to believe that ruby had gone away suddenly without a word to him without even leaving her address she had not complained of feeling ill the day they parted he could not believe she had gone away a sudden fear struck him that perhaps she was seriously ill calling a cab he drove to her flat in baker street he rang the bell three times without receiving an answer then he went in search of the porter the man corroborated what iris collier had told him miss strode had gone away for a holiday he did not know where she had gone but he remembered her telling the driver of the taxicab to take her to victoria station she had left about eight o'clock on the evening of the same day rupert had started for devonshire she had said she would send an address to which letters could be forwarded but up to the present she had not done so rupert was on the point of asking if she had gone alone then he checked himself ashamed of the thought for jealousy had prompted it he turned away without a word and walked blindly down the street the contemptible thought which had entered his heart prompted by a sudden wave of jealousy was swept away by the return of the dreadful fear which had assailed him several times during the last forty-eight hours and against which he had so far fought successfully but now it would not be denied it brought with it a horrible suspicion why had she gone away he asked himself again and again still not daring to find the answer which fear prompted when she had said good-bye to him at his rooms in westminster she must have known she was going and have made her preparations yet she had carefully concealed the fact from him it was not a case of illness he would have seen it or she would have told him he knew she had not tired of her work at the ingenue she loved the theatre then why had she gone why had she suddenly run away from him from london from life she loved him nothing could shake his faith in her love she had proved it her love had saved him from taking his own life rupert found himself standing just inside the gates of the marble arch the roar of traffic echoed dully in his ears on his left the lights of oxford street glared facing him was the darkness of the park with here and there the red blot of a gas lamp she had saved him from the crime of self-destruction with extraordinary clearness pictures rose before his eyes presenting each incident of the last day they had spent together they passed before him like the pictures projected by a cinematograph she had not told him of his good fortune until she had found him seated in the chair with a revolver clasped in his hand yet she had known his position perfectly well she had known that with the defeat of the favorite in the big race ruin faced him yet she had said nothing until she found him face to face with death he put his hands up to his face to shut out the pictures which danced before his eyes he heard himself laugh 
the next moment he was striding through the park trying to escape from his thoughts and from the fear which now permeated his whole being at hyde park corner he got on to an omnibus he wanted to get back to his rooms again he might find something there some proof that these fears were groundless the first thing he did was to light a fire and switch on all the electric lights he noticed a vase of faded flowers on the bureau he was about to throw them into the fire when he hesitated as far as he could remember there were no flowers in the room when he had left he rang the bell and told the servant he wished to speak to the landlady the maid gave him a scared look and said she would ask her to step up mrs jones entered the room noiselessly and closing the door stood with her back to it she gave rupert one glance then stooped down to pick up an imaginary hairpin from the floor i've returned rather unexpectedly on business rupert said speaking jerkily yes sir i hope uh, there ain't no serious trouble sir rupert forced a laugh trouble why by the way are there any letters for me mrs jones struggled for her pocket and after a few moments produced a crumpled envelope which she straightened out and handed to rupert miss strode left that for you the day she went away sir and she put them flowers in that vase on the bureau i said as how they wouldn't live until you came back but there it was her fancy to have them while you were away and i was to leave them there rupert nodded he turned the envelope over broke the seal then changed his mind and put it into his pocket no other letters he asked sharply the landlady looked over the top of his head and picking up her apron commenced to twist the corners nervously a gentleman called to see you this afternoon sir and not knowing you was returning i told him you had gone away and weren't expected he said you were probably coming up to london i didn't take no notice of that he wouldn't give his name sir but he seemed anxious to see you rupert guessed it was sir reginald crichton turning his back on mrs jones he took out his key intending to open the bureau to his surprise he found it was unlocked the landlady continued to twist her apron watching him surreptitiously there are no other letters for me he repeated well sir the landlady stammered there were some letters and miss strode after you was gone i think she paid some bills for you at least so i understood her to say but two gentlemen have been here since you arrived this evening she stopped and again picked up an imaginary hairpin from the floor rupert swung around he waited for her to continue of course i shouldn't have admitted them sir but i couldn't help myself what do you mean mrs jones hesitated she was washing her hands in her apron now and she sniffed suspiciously once or twice as if tears threatened speak out speak plainly for goodness sake rupert cried fiercely what did these men come for who were they scotland yard sir in order to search the rooms she raised her apron to her eyes and commenced to sob such a thing ain't it never happened to me before sir never since my poor husband died and i was forced to take in lodgers i told them what i thought of them but it weren't no good sir they had a warrant or whatever it is called and they took your letters sir what right had they to them i'd like to know it's all right mrs jones rupert said quietly it's a mistake i know that sir but it ain't pleasant to have a thing like that happen in one's own house police officers they were sir i told them you was a perfectly respectable gentleman you'd paid your bills as they could see that will do rupert interrupted did they take anything else out of my rooms 
mrs jones wiped her eyes with her apron i don't think so sir i had a look round after they'd gone the race card you'd left and which i'd put on the blotting pad was missing and they took the blotting pad too the robbers i just filled it up with fresh blotting paper the very day before you left as you may remember yes i remember again rupert laughed you needn't worry mrs jones it's a mistake and it will be put right to-morrow that'll do you can go now the landlady hesitated fingering the door-handle no one knows but me sir fortunately i answered the door myself so my servant she don't know people will talk so i quite understand but there will be nothing to talk about good night good night sir anything i can do i'm sure the door closed on the remainder of the sentence rupert waited until her footsteps had died away he opened the bureau and searched a few papers were missing some notes he had made of his examination and one or two unimportant letters as far as he could remember that was all with the exception of the letters which had arrived during his absence and the bills ruby had paid it was lucky they had found and taken the race card he took ruby's letter from his pocket and opened it darling in case you return before we meet again this is just to greet you and to tell you i have paid all the bills i could find and put a hundred and fifty pounds to your credit in the bank it is just possible that i may go away for a little holiday as i have been feeling rather seedy lately and the management say that if i give them a doctor's certificate i can take a rest so don't worry if you return and find me flown i won't write to devonshire as you told me it would be better not to guard yourself for my sake i love you better than anything else in the world always yours ruby p s i left some flowers on the bureau i'm afraid they'll die before you see them but they are my thoughts which will always be in this room with you he looked at the flowers red roses drooping their heads bending down he pressed the letter to his lips then slowly and deliberately he tore it up threw the pieces on the fire and watched them burn drawing a chair forward he sat down and stretched out his hands to the glowing coal they were icy cold he was shivering it was obvious that the police suspected him of having altered sir reginald crichton's cheque their suspicions must have been pretty strong they must have found some evidence in order to obtain a warrant to search his rooms perhaps there was a warrant out for his arrest he smiled grimly but suddenly the expression on his face changed if he were arrested and the news reached devonshire it would break his father's heart ruin his sister's life he jumped to his feet picked up his hat intending to go out at once and find sir reginald the clock struck the hour eleven it was too late to see him now besides he did not know for certain that the police suspected him they had some letters the contents of which he did not know receipts for the bills ruby had paid it was quite possible they might suspect her he threw his hat aside and examined the bureau again why had the police taken the blotting pad he could not remember having written any letters on the day of the race yet the blotting pad must have contained evidence of some sort or the police would not have taken it if the check had been altered in his rooms and blotted on that pad his body broke out into a sweat he dropped back into the chair and sat gazing into the fire his suspicions would no longer be stifled he still fought them but it was useless he reasoned with himself he argued with himself but the more he reasoned the more firmly did his suspicions take root ruby had never backed ambuscade for him at all she had told a lie to save his life and having saved his life she had had to find the money which she told him they had won and without which he had confessed he dared not face life 
how had she obtained that money he heard the question answered again and again but he dared not listen he put his hands over his ears and rocked himself to and fro in agony to save him ruby had sacrificed herself she could not have known what she was doing she must have been mad at the time as mad as he when he had taken his revolver and placed it over his heart intending self-destruction dawn was in the sky before he went to bed the sun was commencing to rise before he slept for sleep only came when he had made up his mind what he would do when a few hours later he met sir reginald crichton End of chapter seven